Welcome to the audio podcast ministry of The Bridge. In all that we do, our priority is to lead all people from all places to be all in with Jesus. We hope that by providing this message in this way, it will be an encouragement to those of you who have already decided to follow Jesus, as well as a way home for those of you who have not yet said yes to Him. You can find out more, as well as support this ministry, by going to bridgeclarksville.com. Well, this month we are making the move from the manger in December to the miracles of January. We know that between the manger and the miracles, there was an obstacle, there was an opportunity. We looked at that last week together, if you were with us on New Year's Eve. But now we're making that move. And when the time had come for Jesus to go public with ministry, for the mission to begin, at least the part of the mission that we focus on usually in Scripture, when that was going to happen, he began that with a miracle. So we have this miracle movement that we're going to look at in the book uh, or in the month of January as we take a look at different aspects of Jesus' miracles and try to figure out exactly why those were performed, what it means for you and me, and does he still do those even today in our lives? So we're going to jump into the miracles. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of John. That's the last of the four gospels that begin the New Testament. And in the book of John, chapter 2, we have a rather odd scene. Jesus has been baptized by John, uh, not the writer of the book of John, but John the Baptist, as we refer to him. He's been baptized by John. He's been affirmed by God the Father. God said, this is my son in whom I am pleased as he was uh, baptized. Then he was tempted by the evil one, tempted by Satan for a time period, And then after that, he called 12 people to follow him. And after the uh, baptism, after the affirmation, after the temptation, then after that uh, invitation that he gave those 12 people, we get to John chapter 2, and there is this scene at a wedding. So these men are, I guess, wondering, did did we do the right thing? Did we, uh, should we have given up our lives and our jobs to follow this man? And now he's just bringing us to a wedding. And Jesus is not at the wedding because he is potentially the Messiah and people heard about it. They wanted to have him there. He's at the wedding because he's a friend of the family. It's just a community. It's a neighborhood. It's a group of people. He's at the wedding. We know his mom is there as well. We can assume perhaps some of his earthly siblings were with him there. He's at the wedding, and at least a few of, if not all 12 of his disciples, are there with him as well. They may have been invited. They may have been the world's first wedding crashers. We do not know this, but we just know that he's there with his disciples, at least a good number of them, as well as his mom. And while they're there, a situation happens. It's really just embarrassing and nothing more. It's not tragic. It's not a a very serious issue. It's not urgent. There's no need to go nuts and call 911. None of those things need to happen. And unless you are really into your wine, uh, you understand this is just more of an embarrassment than it is anything else. They're at the wedding, they're at the reception, and all the wine's drunk. There's not enough for the people. They're out of wine. 
And Jesus' mother comes to him and she pushes him along and said, go do something about it. This is your time. Use your strength, use your calling, do your thing. And Jesus is not really ready for this, but his mom is pushing. So if you have a pushy mom, if you have a smotherer in your life, this might be the most like Jesus that you've ever, ever been. And in John chapter two, verse one, it says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. Yeah, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. When Jesus, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. And there he stayed for a few days. Now this was a miracle. It would not be the last miracle. It was the first and as we look throughout this month at the miracles of Jesus, and as you read through the New Testament, you're going to find at times the word miracle, or other times you're going to find, like we read in verse 11, the word signs. Or, yeah, verse 11. Verse 11, the word signs. Now, the word signs and the word miracle are actually the same word, but translators translate it in both ways, depending on the context. So the word we have for miracles and the word we have for signs, it's the same word. So in what way is a miracle a sign? What is the connection? Every miracle is a sign that pointed to something more. By that, I mean it was never just about the miracle. This is not about the wine. The wine is not the focus of this particular point in the story. It was much more than that. And so every miracle we look at, we're going to see actually points to something more. The problem is, and I think that's why, this is why you and I don't always catch this, the problem for us is that when we want God to do a miracle in our lives, we only want a miracle. We don't want any more. We're just looking for something good. We're not looking for God. We want him to part the seas, to do whatever it is in our lives that we cannot do on our own. We've tried and tried and can't do it. We need God to do his thing, to intervene, to do the thing that's improbable, impractical, and what other people are saying is impossible. We want him to do that. But then after that, if he wants to leave us alone for a while, that's fine. I mean, if there's nothing else he has for us, if there are other people that need more attention, that's fine. 
We're not looking for God. We're just looking for something good. We want him to do a good thing to make our lives a little easier, a little more, uh, a little more at peace. We just want him to provide. We want him to answer our prayers the way we want him to answer. We want him to do what we cannot do for ourselves. But then after that, he can go on. That's fine. And we don't mean anything bad by it. We're not necessarily trying to use or manipulate God. We just know we can't, he can, therefore I need you to do this, but I don't really necessarily want you. I just want you to do this thing. And as we go through the New Testament, all of the miracles that Jesus performed truly were signs. They were signs that pointed to something more. And when you and I want these miracles, we're just thinking about the thing, the wine, not literally. I hope that's not a, a miracle that you're praying for, more wine in your house. But we, we want the thing. We want whatever that is. We're not really looking for more. But all of these miracles are signs that point for more. Think of it this way. Anytime there is an unexplainable, how did that happen kind of moment in our lives, and it's good, it makes us happy, we say, oh, God, I can't believe you did that. That was miraculous. That was a miracle. But if there's something that happens in our lives to us or around us that we cannot explain, that seems like it came out of nowhere, and it's not a good thing for us, we, we don't call that a miracle. We say that's a curse. Oh, devil getting at me again. That's a bad thing. Evil. We, we have all sorts of adjectives we put on those moments they have nothing to do with the miracle. We don't, we don't call that a miracle because it wasn't good for me. Because we look at miracles as just a chance when God does something good for us. And then he moves on to someone else and gives them a miracle. On January the 8th, 2000, there's something that the people in Nashville and fans of the Tennessee Titans call the Music City Miracle. Okay. Even if you're not a Titans fan, you know that. January the 8th, 2000, that was the Music City Miracle. Some of you echoed Miracle just then, and you weren't even born in 2000, but you've heard about the Music City Miracle. Now, when we tell the story, meaning people in this area or people who like or maybe even love the Titans, if that's your team, the way you tell the story is we were in a playoff game. The other team had gotten lucky and gone ahead 16 to 15. There were only 16 seconds left. People were leaving the stadium. People were walking away from their televisions. People were leaving, just giving up, saying it's over, it's done. There were a few people praying in the corners, but there were 16 seconds left. They kicked off. The ball went to the legend, Frank Wycheck, God rest his soul. He turned and threw a pass that was absolutely, evidently, for sure, behind the line, and then he ran 75 yards down the field to go up 22-16, and the Titans won the playoff game. That's how you tell that story. Well, you know who doesn't call that a Music City miracle? People in Buffalo. <laughs> when they tell the story, they say, we had our second-string quarterback we chose to start in that game, and with three minutes left, we were behind, and he drove them down the field. And with 16 seconds left, Steve Christie, our kicker, kicked the field goal and put us up 16-15. And there we were, 16 seconds left, on the verge of winning. And then the Titans cheated. They threw a pass. It should have been a forward pass. They ran down the field. The refs messed it up, and it was just a curse. It was a terrible day. That's how they describe that. 
because it wasn't good to them. Now, they're all wrong, but it wasn't good to them. (laughs) We look at miracles in the same way. Because from our perspective, even though we don't verbalize this usually, we look at miracles as just a chance for God to give us something good that we can't get for ourselves. And that's it. Now, do miracles make things better? Absolutely. All throughout the New Testament, from this wedding on, there were blessings and benefits to experiencing the miracles. Life was better. The people at that wedding, they all grinned, they smiled, they said, this is a great place. I can't believe you saved the best wine for now. This is wonderful. We move on. We find blind people being able to see. We find lame people being able to walk. We find people who had been struggling with private personal health issues for years and years find freedom. And we even find dead people being raised up. A lot of things are getting better. There are benefits to the miracle. But if you and I are not careful, we will look at miracles as simply a way for God to give a good gift to his people. And I think we're short-sighted in that way. And I think we're short-changing what's really going on. And I think we're missing out on the true blessing of the miracle. Because most of the time, when God chooses to do the impossible and the improbable, it is not just to give us something good. It is to point us to something more. I'm going to give you a few thoughts here as I close up. One, miracles are signs that point to who is truly in control. To who is truly in control. Most of us live our lives with the illusion that we are in control of our lives. That if it's going to happen, we can make it happen. That we can find our way out. That we can dig our way out. We can push the right buttons. We can talk to the right people. We can plan the right way. We can lead the right way. And we can make this thing happen. And every now and then, God steps in and does the thing that everyone else says is improbable, impractical, and impossible, just to pull back the curtain a little bit and remind us we are not nearly as in control as we think we are of our lives and the things going on around us. When I was a kid, my family had another family that we were all friends with, and we hung out together a lot and went out to eat together a lot, came over to each other's houses, played games, that kind of thing. It was my sister and me, and then this family had a a, a brother and sister as well, so the four of us kids hung out. Our parents would be in the other room playing cards, games, whatever. That was, it was one of our close friends. And I remember the, the son and the other family, he was about five years younger than me. So when I was around seven, he's around two, math, uh, around two. And when we would leave their house, if we were over there for a while, the, the man, the father would always stand there holding his son in his arms and they would wave goodbye. And when we would back away, you know, we'd head out and all wave. And my dad had a way of always flashing his high beams. That was kind of weird. But he just flash his high beams and kind of saying goodbye. Well, at some point along the way, my dad thought it would be good. Maybe he'd seen it happen with someone else. I don't know. He thought it would be cool to get the, this, uh, his friend's son to blow like he's blowing out a candle. And my dad would turn off the headlights. So the kid obviously thinks he's blowing out the headlights. So we're sitting there at times for 30 and 45 minutes in the driveway watching a two-year-old go, and then my dad, you know, turns out the lights and the kid thinks he's, and so it's funny, we're laughing. About minute 32 or 33, my sister and I are in the back seat going, this is the dumbest two-year-old, like, what are we doing? Like, why, how does he not know this? 
It's not him. It is not him. It's the one in the car doing this. And I think about that, and I think there are probably times when the angels sit in the back seat in heaven and watch God do his miraculous stuff around me and in my life, and they just shake their heads and go, that's the dumbest man I've ever seen. <laughs> he thinks he's in such control. He thinks if he doesn't do it, it won't get done. He thinks if he doesn't do it this way, then it's going to fall apart. He thinks if he doesn't make this decision, make this move, make this call, send this note, it's not about him. And why doesn't he know that? How can he not figure that out? I'm perhaps in this more than any of you, this illusion of control, that somehow it's all on me. And it's just not. I'm not in control. And there are times when God just has to break through, prevent me from being able to save the day so that he can save the day. But he's not just doing it to put a smile on my face or the faces of those around me. He's doing that so I can be pointed to something more and realize there is only one that I can rely on, depend on, that's worthy of me trusting in. It's not me. It's not another man. It's not another person. God says, I'm the one making this happen. So these miracles point to who is truly in control. Also, miracles are signs that point to what is truly possible, what can really happen. Most of us can only dream based on what we've experienced in our lives. If you had never been able to leave your home as a child and someone gave you a piece of paper and some crayons and said, draw God's creation, All you could draw would be what you see out your window or some version of that. That's all you know. But after you've been to the ocean and after you've been to the mountains, after you've seen the desert and after you've seen the wilderness, everything is wide open because now you see so much more is possible. And as 11 of the 12 disciples who saw this water turn to wine, after Jesus left them, after, three years later, after he was raised from the dead and left them, and they birthed the church in many ways, and God worked through them to do miraculous things, as they moved forward, I wonder how often they went back to moments like these. Whereas they're beginning with the church, they have people who are new to following Jesus or don't even know him that say, I don't know what I'm going to do. Financially, things are just not going to work out and are falling apart and I feel like my life is coming undone or there's something going on with my body. I'm not well anymore. I'm sick and I just don't know that there's any answers here. I don't know what I'm going to be able to do or even the, the authorities in the town coming in saying, stop preaching about Jesus or we're going to put you in jail and shut this thing down. I wonder if in those moments they just looked at each other and thought, Okie dokie, <laughs> do whatever you want to do. Um, we're, we're cool because our God can. And our God is able and we've seen it with our eyes. We know what he can do. That's not intimidating to him. That does not frighten him a bit. And throw us in jail if you want to. This was never about us in the first place. We're not worried at all in this moment. And for some of you, you've forgotten those moments in which God has broken through, looked at that relationship that you said is done, it's over, it's severed, and God showered somehow enough mercy and forgiveness to put that thing back together. Or you've forgotten those moments when you were staring at the computer or on your phone at your bank account going, how am I gonna get out of this? How am I gonna get out of this? How am I gonna get out of this? And yet you're still here. In those moments when you sat in the doctor's office and you heard the words and you thought, I guess this is it. There's no hope. They don't know what to do. And yet you're still here. And we forget all those things. And then we have one small thing fall apart. 
We have one moment that's very improbable and practical and seems impossible and we forget everything that he has done. But those miracles are signs that point to who is in control and what is actually possible. But most of all, and if you get nothing else, I hope you'll grasp this today, miracles are signs that give us a reason to believe. We want miracles to make things better. God does miracles to make us believe. Bottom line, that's the main reason he turned the water into wine. It was not just to make a better party. It was not to save the embarrassment of the bridegroom and his people. It was actually to lead to belief. In John 2, 11, that we read a moment ago, it says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Remember, most of the people didn't know a miracle had happened. That was the first miracle Jesus had performed, and yet most didn't even know what had gone on. One man turned to the bridegroom and said, man, good job. You had a great party, and you threw out the surprise great wine at the end. Good job. No one knows what's going on. The servants are going, how did that? They're still trying to wrap their minds around it. They don't really grasp what's going on. But you got 12 guys in the huddle looking going, are you kidding me? We made the right call. This is the man. Like, this is what we were waiting on. We didn't want to go to a wedding. We want to know, is he the Messiah? And it says the disciples in that moment began that journey of believing. They had taken a huge risk. And it's as if Jesus turned and said, now, let's go. Buckle up, because we're about to move into something you've never even dreamed of. And there are times when we have to step back and realize the purpose that God has for intervening and even at times breaking his own laws of nature and doing the thing that no one else said could be done is to increase, inspire, encourage, and fan the flames of belief in our heart. We're going to jump ahead three years. In John chapter 20, three years after the wedding, Jesus has been raised up from the dead. He died for the sins of all of us. Three days later, he walked out of the grave. And little by little, he is encountering his followers and other people. And in John 20, we read, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So there's a lot of other stuff. I just had 20 chapters or so. We have another chapter after that. But I just had 21 chapters here to write. There's so much more I could write and we could write about. But we've given you this so that you will believe. 
this recording of his miracles because ultimately it points to a belief. We're going to talk all month about the miracles and why sometimes we see one, why sometimes we don't. Does God still do this kind of thing? But what I want us to do now is just for a moment to recognize the fact that God has already done so much in our lives and it wasn't just to get us to the next month, to the next paycheck, to get us out of a bind. It wasn't just even to add a little time or a little health to our story. He did those things to inspire, encourage, and fan the flames of belief in him. Because believing is not just admitting, yeah, I, be I believe Jesus was sent by God. I believe the tomb's empty. I believe he walked out factually. I I can, I'll accept that. I choose to accept that. It's about being willing to say, I am now going to put the weight of my trust on him. Everything. I, I believe. If he can do this, then I'm going to trust him to do that. If he can do that, then I'm going to trust him to do this. He was with me in this moment. He'll be with me in that one. I look back at all the little moments in my life that I would call miraculous. I never saw water turn into wine, which is good. I'm not a drinker, but there are other things that are, could be done. I never saw seas part, but I've never been stuck with an army running behind me as well. I haven't seen the walls of a city fall in, but I've never needed that. I haven't seen manna come from heaven, but I've got plenty of food. But I have watched God take things that should have been impossible, should have been over, should have been dead, and breathe on them and create life again. I've seen him reconcile. I've seen forgiveness happen. I've seen mercy. I've seen God do things that I never thought I'd be able to be a part of and do on my own. And if all of those things were just so that I could smile and say, wow, got through that one, then I have wasted the experience. That's not why he did those things. He did it so that now I can stand before you using the mouth that he gave me and testify to the fact that he is good, he is worthy of all of your trust, and he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And if everyone else says it cannot be done, yes, it can, and God can. And he is worthy of our trust. Thank you for joining us today. If you live in the area, we hope you will soon join us in person. If you were unable to do that, we hope you will continue to stay connected with us by following this podcast and sharing it with your friends. For more information, go to bridgeclarksville.com.